I've never ran so fast in my life. You're laughing now. The joke is, gee, you can barely walk. Uh, new Achilles, new me, it's there. Uh, and we're, we're making progress. But there was a time where I ran. Uh, there was a time that that happened. There was one time specifically it happened, and I don't think I've run that fast since. Livingston, Alabama. Small town, southwest Alabama, southwest of Tuscaloosa, uh, we're working camp. It was the kind of hot, the kind of, it's just South Alabama warm blanket. Y'all, you, you know the feeling. You, you shower, you step outside to feed the dog for one minute, and you go, why did I shower? What's the purpose here? We're about to enter into that time. It's my least favorite part of the calendar. It's just heat. It's warm. Southeast, southwest Alabama, that day I didn't care. I didn't care. I was mad. I was angry, if I'm really honest. And if I'm really, really like just deep down honest with you, which is the goal for today, I was crying. You guys ever had that moment? You're like mid-run, mid-jog, and you're just ugly crying? You ever had one of those? Any? No? Just me? Me neither. I never had it. I don't know what you're talking about. Bunch of liars. Uh, you ever had that cry like mid-run? You're just like, you've lost it. Me neither, right? I'll tell you this, though. You can sure log some miles that way. It's funny what anger will do. I was running as far and as fast as I could, and I didn't care that it was the most humid place on the planet. I was angry. And I was sad. I was working camp. Lifeway used to have a camp called Cross Point. Uh, it was awesome. We'd travel the south, we'd do camp. Kids would come during the week and then they'd go home. It was Friday afternoon, kids were headed out. So what did we do? We collected the evaluations, we call those evals in the camp world, and we checked those evals. Adult leaders that would bring their kids to camp would evaluate every single aspect of camp. I'm talking about the biscuits on Monday morning, to how the rec time went, to how the pool was, accommodations, and yes, the preaching. I was 22. I'd never had a job preaching before. I still can't believe they hired me, if I'm honest. I had no idea what I was doing. I had a great mentor. He knew what I was doing, or he knew what he was doing, and he brought me on board. And at the end of that week, they handed us the evals. And my buddy Brad, who still is over Lifeway Camps right now, Brad was my director. We're 22 together. He came in, gee, here's the evals. This makes our team better. I want you to check them out. I want you to walk through it and bring me your feedback. It's week one. We've got 11 more weeks of this. It's okay. You guys know how selfish I am. You know this. What did I do as soon as you gave me the evals? Whose name did I search for? Mine. I wanted to know if I bombed it, if I really messed it up. So I started going through, and some of those evals were okay, and some of those evals make you reach for your running shoes in the middle of the South Alabama heat. Because as a guy at 22, I, didn't know, I did not know how to process criticism. And I thought that preaching in that moment was about me. So I ventured out. I ran that campus, University of West Alabama in Livingston, till I could barely stand. I am a disaster. 
I am ugly cry on the run. It's happened once. I'm just throwing that out there. It hasn't happened again. It could. I've got four kids. It's probably going to happen. But I'm sitting there, and I get back to the dorm. I'm a sweaty disaster. It's sweat mixed with tears. I hope that Brad was dumb enough not to know the difference. And I walk in, and there's my director, my good buddy Brad, and he's not dumb. I said, gee, let's chat. So okay. We go to my dorm room, which feels like a prison cell. It's literally cement blocks that are painted gray. It's an old dorm. And I'm staring at the cement. I'm not looking at him. I don't want to know what he's about to say. And he said two things. He said, you're going to get better. I was like, thanks. Cool. And he said, gee, this whole preaching thing's not about you anyway. Do you hear me? He said, this whole thing, this whole summer long camp that we're gonna do, you preach five days a week, you do that 11 weeks, every single one of those moments is about the main character and you're not him. I don't know if you've had somebody yet in your life, I'm 41 years old, come up to you and say, hey, guess what? Um, I don't know how to say this, but in some way, shape, or form, they have let you know that you are not the main character in the story. If that has not happened to you yet, well, today may be your day. Let me say this. If you are anything like me, it may be the most freeing thing that you have ever heard. You are not the main character in the story. I'll put it to you like this. The mission of Jesus, the actual mission of Jesus, his word going to the nations, the mission of Jesus is best seen, displayed in your life and in mine when you and I realize that we are not the main character in the story. The mission of Jesus is best seen when you and I realize that we are not the main character in the story. It's not about us. We're not the main character, but I will argue this all day. If you're a believer in this room, you are empowered by the main character in the story. It's not us, it's him. Paul got this. And it changed everything. Let me show you. Acts chapter 28. Why don't you stand with me? This is the last chapter of Acts, and thus, the last installment of the Acts series. It's been a fun ride. We are going to conclude it today, and you've got to see the end of the story. Even the last word is good. Chapter 28, we'll start in verse 23. It's on the screen for you if you need it. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him in his lodging. Let's just call that jail, okay? Paul's in prison. He can't leave. It's a form of house arrest, He's there two years, so lodging, now you know what it means. When they came to him in his lodging in greater numbers, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. 
You will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and turn, excuse me, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 28, we're almost done. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will listen. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That hindrance word is a fun word. We'll get to that. You may be seated. As you're taking a seat, uh, the very framework of the morning is this. If we're going to end Acts, we've got to make sure that we see it through the correct lens. And I want to argue all day, the best way for you and I to understand Acts 28 is through the lens of Acts 1-8. Okay? That's how you have to see this passage. This passage will not make any sort of doctrinal theological sense without Acts 1-8 existing. And we as a church, we dig Acts 1-8. Like, we're all about Acts 1-8. Like, how, like what, how, how, what level of digging are we doing with that? Pretty, pretty a lot. Like, if you're in the balcony right now, hey, y'all, if you walk out of those doors at the end of today and you turn around and face the wall right behind you, what verse do you see? It's Acts 1-8. We love this verse. This is a theme verse for our entire congregation. And this verse is the power station for the way that Paul conducted himself at the end of the passage. Acts 28 does not work without Acts 1-8. Well, gee, read Acts 1-8. I will read it for you quickly, and we'll go from here. Very, very simply. Acts 1-8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's a promise, y'all. If you know Jesus in this room, you've given him your life, he says, he promises that you're going to have a spirit and you're going to receive power in that spirit. That's the only way it works. You and I are not the main characters in the story, but we see quickly in Acts 1-8 who is. The spirit. Jesus, in his goodness and in the Father's goodwill, sent a son for us. We see this incarnationally on earth in the Gospels. Jesus comes. You got the death, burial, resurrection, ascension to the Father. So that when Acts 2 happens, Jesus is gone at that point. He's with the Father. Now we have the Spirit as believers. We have what Louis Giglio calls this power station that lives within us. Another scholar named John Polhill says it this way. The word used here is dynamis. Like, what in the world does that mean, G? Fair question. Dynamis, the use of that word power, is the same word for power used when Jesus does his miracles in the Gospels. So what are you saying? I'm making the argument that Scripture makes the argument that the same exact power Jesus used to heal is available for you. I have a question. Do you believe it? And would the way that you and I live our lives be different if we really did? Acts 28 
is best seen through the lens of Acts 1.8. Best seen. You get to verse 23, and I love every part of this passage. I love it. You get to verse 23, and it's very, very simple. They appointed a day for him. Who's they and who's him? They are the Roman Jews. This is what scripture calls the second interview. It may say that right above the passage for you. If there's a second interview, you guys are smart. Was there a first? Yes. What happened there? It went okay. It was fine. It's like one of those interviews you might have. "Ah, I don't know if I'm going to get, I don't know. It went okay. The Romans weren't ugly to Paul and Paul wasn't ugly to the Romans. Honestly, most scholars say it was very political. It was almost kind in a way. We don't have anything against you just yet. We're going to come back and the scripture teaches they do in greater numbers. Paul, I just love this part of the text. Paul is in prison, house arrest, can't leave. And he realizes that he's not the main character in the story. It's not about him. He is in literally house arrest and instead of licking his wounds, complaining, brooding, what have you, he goes, um, the mission of Acts 1-8's got to get out. I'm still a witness here. How do I do this? I've got the spirit. And in the most southern way I can say it possible, what does he do? He's still allowed by the Roman Jews to invite people to his house arrest. He can't go anywhere. He's in bondage. He's confined. But they allow him, because the spirit's unhindered, to invite anybody he wants. His enemy at that point is probably his own brethren, Devout Jew is Paul, but there's a delineation. There's a difference now. Paul sees Christ as Messiah. And instead of that being a division where he refuses to shake hands over a fence, Paul goes, y'all come on over. I'm not that mad at you. There's bigger stuff than me. I am not the main character. I've got a king who's the main character, and y'all got to come over. And I will reason with you, verse 23 says, day and night. They came to his lodging from morning until evening. He expounded to them. He taught them the text. He preached. He reasoned. A.M. to P.M. And you're going, that ain't me. I couldn't do that. I'm like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. How? Dynamis. The same spirit available to Paul is available to you. The same spirit to Paul is the same spirit to you. And we've got to get past this point in our Christianity where we, uh, we got to look like Paul. We've got to look more like him. I get that. Paul actually says, imitate me, right? But he also says, I'm the chief of sinners. It's not about me. I'm not holding out Paul as the one who can save you. I'm holding out Jesus Christ and by the beauty of his spirit and surrendering is the one who saves you. And this is where Paul comes in. And he changes everything. How did he do it? Like, how do, you, how do you teach your enemies day and night? The spirit of power, Acts 1.8. It is best, best way to see Acts 28 is through Acts 1.8. It changes Paul's whole thing. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said and some disbelieved, but this didn't stop Paul. Verse 25, disagreeing among themselves, the Jews departed. And after Paul had made one statement, and Paul brings up an old Isaiah passage where Isaiah is frustrated too. 
And you get Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. He said, you're going to hear, but you're not going to get it, y'all. You will see, but you're, you're never going to perceive. Your heart has grown dull. And he uses the same words as Isaiah. But I want to clue you in on something that's super, super cool about this passage. In verse 25, Paul's tenor towards the Roman Jews changes. He's not angry with them. He doesn't hate them. He has not drawn a massive line, but he has made a different uh, a delineation, a mark that says, here's where I am and you may be over here. There's a word change. He says as he begins 25, he says, your father's. The Holy Spirit was right in saying your fathers. Why is that a big deal? If you backed up eight verses, Paul starts this conversation with the Jews in the first interview, and he says this way. He calls them brothers. Brethren is the word. And he also uses the word our. Tony Morita says it well. He says, Paul's faith in Christ set him apart. Paul's a devout Jew, knows the law backwards and forwards, Reasons with them all day. Why? Because he wants them to know who he has found to be Messiah. And it doesn't matter if he's in jail. It doesn't matter his location. Only thing that matters is if the main character in the story gets all the glory in the whole world. And Paul says, it's not about me. It's about him. So if I'm in jail for two years and you hold me here, that's okay. The Spirit's going to make a way. And these people just kept coming to visit even his enemies that most would call at that point. Changes things, changes things. F.F. Bruce, great scholar, quotes it this way. says, throughout the day, Paul labored to prove to them that the gospel of Christ was the fine flowering of Israel's religion. That the whole course of Hebrew history and prophecy led up to it and was consummated by it. In other words, Paul is going to these Jews and saying, this is exactly through the scripture. He fits every box you want. He's king. That's the guy. That's why I am in chains going. He's better than anyone and everything I've ever met. And if you keep me here, that's fine. I'm not happy with it, but it's not about me anymore. It turns out preaching is not about the preacher. It's about the main character in the story. And the gospel of Jesus, the mission of Jesus is best seen in your life and in mine when we realize that we are not the main characters. I fall for that lie far too often. Paul rebuffs it, says there's something, really someone better. Paul finishes, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. This had to happen this way biblically, doctrinally. It's the way the Father wanted it, right? If you fast forward one page in your Bible, you're probably gonna land in Romans 1, and you're gonna hit a verse, Romans 1, 16, and what's that verse gonna say? The gospel goes to the Jews first, and then the Gentiles. And Paul got it right. How do we know? Acts 13 goes to Antioch. They rejected it. You get to Acts 18, you get Corinth, they rejected it. Acts 19, one chapter later, you get to Ephesus, they rejected it. There is a pattern, a rhythm of rejection from the Jews towards Jesus being Messiah. And so at this moment, it pivots in the Father's goodwill to the Jews as well and makes it available. 
If your Bible looks like mine, you're going, where's verse 29, G? Where's that bad boy at? You went 28 to 30. My Bible does not have a 29 in it. Yours might. I'm not saying yours is right and mine is wrong. What I am saying is verse 29 is not in the original manuscripts. Okay? So some translations leave it out. What does it say if it's not in your Bible? It says literally that the Jews vigorously reasoned what just happened, what they heard all day and night. That's all it says. And then you get to verse 30, and I want you to see this, and this is the crescendo of an entire chapter. It ends this way. He lived there two whole years on his own dime. Welcomed everyone, Jews and Gentiles. I was bummed out after a bad eval. I thought it was about me. Check this out. Two years, two years he's in this spot. What does he do? Scholars say that he writes four books. He writes Philippians. He writes Ephesians. He writes the letter to the church at Colossae, and he writes a letter to Philemon. Paul was bound. Spirit is free. Paul was bound. Spirit is free. How did he do it? Power came over him. Holy Spirit power came over him. If you're asking me, gee, do you understand every single part about the Trinity? Like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do you get all the nuance? I'm like, no, I don't. My brain cannot compute that mystery as much as I want it to compute that mystery. But I trust that Jesus is right and he sends his spirit. And when that spirit moves in our hearts, if you know him, he takes over every word. When you witness, when you walk in our city and you speak goodness to people, the spirit is at work in your soul in that moment. It changes things. Two years in, Paul writes four books. And he finishes the last word without hindrance. Mike got all the pastors together this week and he said that last word is funny. Some scriptures actually say it's unhinderedly. It's it's lousy Greek, Mike says. It's lousy enough to be the last word of the book. And as you're walking out of the book of Acts, Mike argues that you almost trip over that word in the Greek. And you look back and go, what was that? It's almost like Luke planted it for us. What is that? I gotta take a second gaze at that. What did I just trip on? Unhinderedly? Akalitos in the Greek. The gospel cannot be stopped. You're like, Garrett, have you seen the culture today? Yeah. The gospel cannot be stopped. It is for all, Jew and Gentile. This morning, the good news is this. I'm just gonna say this out loud because I love you. The good news of the gospel is that you are not the main character in your story. You're not. Like, and you're going, I don't understand that. I don't get that. that no, it's the most thing possible because you can't save you. The good news of the gospel is that it's all true and the main character of the story has come for us. And the Father's goodwill sends the Son. The Son sends to be with the Father and he gives us his spirit. Boldness, power, dynamis. Same spirit, Jesus healed within the Gospels, available to you today. It's the same. Don't buy the lie that it's not.
This morning, the good news is very, very simply this. I'm not holding out Paul and saying, be like Paul. I love it when Paul says he's the chief of sinners because for a minute he takes his cape off. And it's like, oh, he's a normal, normal dude. Yeah, he's, he's a normal dude. What's different about Paul? It's not about Paul. It's who's living inside of Paul. Do you know the spirit? Do you know Jesus Christ and have his spirit residing in you? If you don't, right outside of here, Travis will say this in just a minute, there is a glass box. It looks like an Apple store. It's our welcome center. Go find somebody. Don't leave this moment without having Jesus here. But two, I want to challenge you this if you're a believer. Do you really believe in this power that one, Acts 1.8 talks about? Because the whole key to Acts 28 is Acts 1.8. Do you believe you will be given that power as a witness for the gospel? My challenge and my hope is that you will bear hug the truth that the main character will come through. Our main character as Christians does not know how to fail. It's not in him. He's come for us and he changes everything. The mission of Jesus is best displayed when you and I realize that we are not the main character. If you know the spirit, we wanna invite you to a table. So as our guys come forward, we want to do this. We want to share a quick meal together. And I want to circle your brain around one spot before we leave. This word, remember. Turns out Paul writes a lot. Like, he, that dude was in jail for a long time. He's writing a lot. One of the books that he wrote, one of the letters that he wrote, I should say, is this letter to Corinth. And in the letter to Corinth, he describes a meal. And gentlemen, as you get to those tables, you're more than welcome to go ahead and start that process of passing those out. He gets to Corinth, he writes a letter to Corinth, excuse me, and he uses one word over and over, and I can't unsee it. Paul says, remember, I need you to remember. Remember what? Jesus' words, remember what I've done. Remember. So my question to you is, as we take the Lord's Supper, is to take a moment of silence and think about what Jesus has done. Not that he made you a better person. That's not the true gospel. It's that he brought you from death spiritually to life spiritually.